You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 118, Limp Biscuit, featuring Lauren Kozlowski of Roach Coach. I think if you try to capitalize anything, it doesn't work. Hosted by Dan Terry. Gotta pay the bills somehow. <laughs> I mean, Josh Baldridge. Kara King would kill somebody if he heard that shit. And Joseph Wren. I'm trying to give him the night off. He just has hey, to show up and perform. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you think Limp Biscuit doesn't need an intro, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is Josh. Lauren Kislowski's here. Hello. We have like the perfect toolkit to discuss Limp Biscuit. That we do. Uh, I am definitely of two minds about all of this. Is that really the best you got for the ending of New Metal May 2019? Okay, so yes, it is the end of another beautiful New Metal May. I, uh, I I like this band especially because the last few bands we've done in New Metal May, <laughs> it was more like a are they New Metal, and uh, that was that was kind of frustrating. But there's kind of no uh, there's no denying that Limp Bizkit has played New Metal from note one all the way to the final note, which hopefully is not the final note. Nope, they're at it still. So for a long time, we've gotten emails, we've gotten tweets, we've gotten all kinds of questions regarding when are you guys going to do a Limp Bizkit episode. And at first, I didn't want to do it because I was like, I'm just going to trash the band the whole time. It's not going to be fun for anybody. But after really taking a look at things and kind of reevaluating new metal in 2019, it's kind of like, okay, for us to admit that we like stuff that we liked whenever we were younger. In the spirit of that, we're going to jump right into Limp Biscuit. We've got the Dean of New Metal here with us. We have Josh back from Seemingly the Dead. Hello, everyone. Where did you leave Jeff this time? Uh, he's in a box. Down by the river. Oh, okay. I don't live near the river. It's okay, Joe. <laughs> don't worry about it. Well, before we jump into talking about leaving people in vans or, I'm sorry, not vans, boxes by the river, uh, we had a little bit of feedback from our spine shank episode. This was an interesting one because Joshua Toomey decided that he was going to share our episode with the spine shank guys, and uh, that was uh, always a little scary because I'm like, oh, no, did I say really nice things about... <laughs> spine shank or did i not say nice things but uh they seem to like it but uh as far as our facebook feedback on that episode goes duke cannon says oh shit i did not see this one coming i'm not the biggest fan of this band but their second album was catchy as hell and then bam straight nosedive into new metal nothingness they had quite a bit of momentum and then fizzled out like a cheap firecracker <laughs> i blame it on the tours they were on i don't think the right bands took them out on the road scott bowling of good company with bowling says i absolutely loved spine shank back in the day can't wait to hear the podcast i love that i love the comments prior to listening because like what if you listen to the podcast and then hate it david brown says one of my favorite bands of the era for sure sound as fuck when i met them on their uk tour too all around great guys and savagely underrated i think i definitely agree with that and then uh we got a comment from uh mike from spine shank who said, wow, that's pretty cool. It's pretty interesting to listen to someone else's perspective of what we did. There's a few things there that are not necessarily true. Sorry about that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but I think overall they were pretty on point. I'd have to agree with most of the things they said. Thanks for sending this to me. It definitely was Dan's interpretation, so you know it was wrong at least a little bit. Never. Well, you know, we're kind of sh- we're kind of shooting in the dark here. I mean, we're 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 pulling back like 10, 15 years. You know, the internet was not what it what, what it is today back then. Like, there was a lot of misinformation. 
Uh, like the earliest entries on Wikipedia are hilarious. If you jump on the Wayback Machine and look at old Wikipedia articles on bands, there's just there's some crazy shit in there that like there was before they had like a team of moderators or anybody that would check what was actually written on that encyclopedia. So yeah, we get some details wrong every now and again, and that's the whole fun part of this show is we always like calling the artist onto the show and they can correct us. So everybody can can kind of bathe in our wrongness. Well, before Dan is allowed to rearrange this intro any more than he already has, I want to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We're on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. We do enjoy our five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. We actually recently had a potential guest request that we do a Kiss episode. But the do whole it. the whole deal do is, it. The whole deal is, and not to be ripping off of somebody else's podcast a little too much, I'm not doing a Kiss episode until I see those 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you want to hear us talk about Kiss, good, bad, ugly, everything in between, we got to get those reviews on there. So. Get to work, everyone. I really, really hope you guys get 100 reviews because one of my big complaints about the internet is there is not enough coverage of Kiss. I'm like, you'd think these guys had no SEO going on with their, you know, just no coverage whatsoever. Just wait, just a little bit. Maybe so. You know what? Maybe just talk about their makeup. Maybe I can't find a thing. Can't find a thing. Wait, they wore makeup. Apparently, they did. That wasn't Peter Chris's actual face. Oh my god. No. Wow. I, you All know rumors. what? Though? I I can't say too much because I don't know because there's just no coverage. I don't know what's going on with these guys. Well, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get those hundred reviews and. I'll send it to you, Lauren, before it even posts online, just so that you, Thank you. are 100% informed of everything going on in the KISS world. I need to know what's going on. You know what I need to know about, Lauren? I need to know about Roach Coach. Do you want to tell me what's going on with that? Oh, boy. Well, you know, we are trucking along every week talking about a different new metal album, talking about whether or not it belongs in our new metal canon. We uh, we had a theme month a couple months ago that was very controversial because we didn't do new metal albums for a month. We talked about Ross Robinson produced albums that weren't new metal. And uh, people were like, well, despite that, are you going to do another theme month? And we said, what about a theme summer? So all summer long, uh, periodically, we are going to do the four Family Values albums. Uh, family Values 98, 99, 2001, 2006. Talking all about those. And uh, along with that, you know, uh, right now we're on a kick. We're trying to do all um, all bands we've never done before. You know, we're, we're, we're rolling in. We're creeping up on 175 episodes. So uh, and we've repeated a lot. You know, we've made a decent dent into Limp Bizkit and Korn's discography and Deftones. But there's a lot of bands. People write us and they say, you haven't done blank some band that I've never heard of that only had one album. And I was like, OK. Let's dive in. So right now we're doing a lot of uh, first timers. Um, next, uh, when we record next, we're doing a couple. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything, but we got some uh, some Italian boys uh, that uh, 
that we'll be covering. And uh, yeah, it's uh, a lot of fun. Just if you love new metal and you love hearing people talk about it, Roach Coach is your place. I definitely agree with that statement 100%. I mean, where do you guys think I get all my material? Come on. Some of it I do. Actually, a lot of the times it's it's a weird mixture of, yeah, I agree with that. And it's like, what the fuck? You know, it's it's a, it's a roller coaster. And then I it have is. to bust out the shot collar when he starts taking other people's material. Well, you haven't heard the uh, you haven't heard the the stained episode that was posted last week yet. You're right because well, spoilers, we're talking about it real soon. Yeah. Like, I'm holding off like after this really soon. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, one of the things I want to point out before we get started is that Josh is officially going to be our third co-host. Uh, we had Jeff for two years. We had a great time with Jeff. He definitely brought his own unique style to the podcast. But in an effort to keep things in the family, uh, we brought Josh back. Uh, Josh was on like our first 10 episodes or so. And, uh, you know, we back then we were very chaotic in our scheduling. And, very. uh like, I'd literally call him, like, after three days and be like, hey, you listen to all those death albums, right? And he's like, there's, like, nine of them. And I'm like, yeah, but it's been three days. I need those in yeah. three hours. Can you get over here? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need a detailed report. So uh, we brought Josh back on board, and uh, we hope that uh, we at least get another two years out of him. I'm hoping so, at least. The For worse or where, you know? Whether the people like me or not, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Well, we're starting off with a fucking winner, if you ask me. Damn right. Limp Bizkit. So, Dan... Tell me about Limp Biscuit. Oh man. Okay, so Limp Biscuit is a new metal rap rock band. It's kind of weird that they played rap rock because I didn't think that any band ever did that before. Basically, Limp Biscuit was one of the first bands as early as 1997 to kind of take the new metal sound that Korn had kind of developed or, or been a huge part of developing in the early to mid 90s, and they added that hip hop element as kind of a, a major player in their sound. And they put out an album called Three Dollar Bill Y'all in 1997 that is probably one of the most aggressive albums ever released in that style. Um, yeah, I would agree with that because it's heavy. It's not as lyrical or as rap oriented. There's not a lot of DJing as it would be, you know, as the, some of their later albums. It's definitely aggressive. I mean, I don't disagree with that. I mean, when you listen to bands like Korn and, and stuff like that, they... They don't have quite the aggression in their first couple albums that Three Dollar Bill y'all did. I don't think what is the corn. I don't think they got heavier until maybe I don't know, maybe Follow the Leader issues. Whereas yeah, with Limp Bizkit, right off the bat, super aggressive, super heavy, different, definitely different. I admit I bought this album for Faith. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people. It's a great cover. I mean, he. It's. I'm. I think that's the reason I think I got it for it. Oh, maybe Counterfeit. Counterfeit was another one I was a fan of. Well, I discovered Counterfeit while trying to get to Faith because I put the CD in and I hear this Southern Priest. Southern Priest? That's I'm an interesting to way to go about it. it. I was thinking like Revivalist Preacher, yeah, but that's just me. That's where I was trying to go with that, but Josh just jumped right in for me. Appreciate that. No problem, buddy. Uh, then we get fucking Pollution and Counterfeit, and my only way to describe the opening of this album is it's punk rock aggressive it almost feels frantic until you listen to it two or three times and then you realize oh this is just what limp biscuit does they set a fucking groove and then fred just expels lyrics that's pretty accurate i'll, I'll agree with that so lauren for you when was the first time you heard three dollar bill you know i was trying to remember the exact timeline on it and i feel like i heard sour on the radio in some capacity um, and I picked up the CD probably a year after it came out. Um, and 
uh, and you know, it was, I it, think it was my soundtrack to like my driver's training summer. Um, I just listened to it like constantly, but, uh, yeah, the funny thing about a song like pollution, um, is that it, it goes incredibly fast right off the gate to this sort of way that feels very unsteady, like you're going to blow up or something like right, that, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, which is very excellent. And I love, um, and, uh, it's funny listening to it for, uh, for this show, but also I'd actually just randomly put it on back in March. Uh, I was driving around and I decided to just listen to it and until it gets kind of noodly in the back half. I mean, it's pretty solid, you know, I, I mean, it stands up really strongly and I mean, we did it as our second episode of on Roach Coach, and um, I, you know, just uh, even reassessing it now, it just is is what a incredibly rock solid debut. You know, this was your driver's education soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I listened to it uh, that summer. The guy who actually taught us driver's training put on classical music in the car. Okay, of, co- of course. He I'm did. picturing Lauren Kozlowski trying to learn parallel parking while listening to the end of Pollution. You know, just bring that beat back back like lauren hit the brakes back no fred said go back i mean parallel parking was a huge um pain in the butt for me and yeah so that's not too far off to this day i still can't parallel park it's kind of funny because whenever i took the test it was like i scored very highly we got to the parallel park parallel parking part and i was like how many points is this? Do I have she's enough like, to pass? Because she's like, it's only, it's only six points. And I was like, can you just fail me on it? And we'll just move on. We'll <laughs> save us both some time. Yeah, it's a little easy to get a driver's license in Missouri. But Apparently. Uh, <laughs> Joe, feel free to cut that from the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, no, it, this is an interesting record because one of the biggest themes that I want to explore on this episode is perception of Fred Durst. Public perception, rather. Um, in 1997... Everybody would have described Fred Durst as this crazy, screaming, rapping vocalist that could sing. Like he had, he had kind of a good voice. You don't hear it as much on Three Dollar Bill, except for maybe a little bit on on Faith. He, he sounds a little rough on that one, but like he seemed like a powerhouse vocalist, and he put out music that was like, you know, like you can't you can't fucking listen to Three Dollar Bill y'all with your mom, or you know, with no. your family around. Or anything like that. Like, I mean, inappropriate lyrics were the bread and butter of a lot of late 90s music, especially new metal. And, like, it wasn't even offensive. Like, it's weird looking back on it now because, like, I hear the lyrics and I'm like, well, he says fuck a lot. But, like, what he says isn't necessarily, like, super offensive. Do you want to play that game, bitch? Well, Well, yeah, there's a lot of bitch. A lot more bitch. And, yeah, easily, I don't know. It's tough to gauge, but I feel like for misogyny and Limp Bizkit, I would say it's neck and neck with with Cobra as far as like that type of thing. Um, it definitely tempts it down in Significant Other and, and Chocolate Starfish, but definitely on on a three dollar, it's it's ramped up pretty high. Um, I mean, also he throws a bunch of horrors around. Yeah. Um, yeah, he runs the gamut. If you can dance for my cash, it's your ass that I'm blasting. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Shit. Cool, yeah. dude. <laughs> How you doing? That's funny. I, it's weird that I never really picked up on that because I'm usually really heavy about lyrics. But it's for funny that reason, you don't really pay attention to it because it's Fred. It's because it's so classic. Like you ever notice that that there's like shit that like I was talking. I was actually talking to Lauren the other day on uh, on Messenger about. Uh, I let my kids watch the Peter Pan movie, like the classic Peter Pan movie. 
there's a whole section of that movie about Indians that's like super fucking racist. Like it's really bad. And I was like, oh man, but it's such a classic film. My kids love it so much. And like my wife and I talked about it and like it was this whole thing. And it's, it's weird how when something is super classic that sometimes people give it a free pass. Like they're almost like, well, it, you know, I mean, you just have to look at like classic corn albums, like Fall the Leader and stuff where like tons of people still love those albums. But like if you ask them like about the content, they're like, oh, uh, you know, I haven't really thought about that. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's like, you know, when you're going back to like old classic movies that are really sexist and really racist and you just sort of like, oh, well, that didn't age well. I mean, I, I wouldn't lie and say that the lyrics on the personal biscuit album haven't all aged very well um but you know that's it was that era of new metal where you know that was the thing but i mean the fact that he tamped it down so quickly uh with the next record um he clearly read the read the room well i think everybody had something to prove in the late 90s in in new metal especially where it was like how do i you know it's almost like death metal was in the early 90s it's like how how offensive can i be so that I can get tons and tons and tons of attention. But the biggest difference between like Limp Biscuit and like a death metal band is those bands had no chance at at mainstream success. Whereas Limp Biscuit had all the ingredients to make a hit record and that's absolutely what they fucking did. Right after $3 bill y'all. I mean they they put out significant other and it basically took the world by storm. I mean the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, um they had already attracted a large female audience, and you're going to retain that if you respect that audience. So that's another part. I mean, if you look at his character from uh, $3 Bill, is this very aggressive, spurned man. And then on Significant Other, he's, uh, I mean, a little more sensitive. Uh, uh, he's a bit more of a cuckold on it. I mean, especially with a song like Nookie um, and a song like No Sex. Uh, but at least he's there's more vulnerability, for lack of a better word. I remember reading, and I don't know that this is true, the lyrics to Significant Other changed overnight because his long-term relationship ended. Wouldn't surprise me. Not at all, based on the lyrics of most of his songs, no. And it's funny because, as we'll talk about later, Fred's actually a super sensitive dude. Very much. <laughs> like, he is. Super sensitive. Look like, at he rearranged. Is, he does not take rejection well. You know, especially looking at Nookie, I've, I've listened to Nookie so many times and like analyzed it and overanalyzed it and just tried to figure out like what it was. And it just it just reminds me of like little kids like that are like maybe 11 or 12. And this kid's like, oh, I like this girl. She's my girlfriend. And then like their girlfriend and boyfriend for a day or two when they pass notes back and forth to each other. And then at the end of it, you know, she's like, oh, we're breaking up now. And he's like, well, I never liked her anyway. That's the impression I get from a song like Nookie. And it's so funny because mm -hmm. on the surface, it seems like kind of a misogynistic song. It almost seems like there's a little bit of element of satire in that song. I mean, he definitely, I mean, the, the, the key part of it is that he says he didn't actually even get laid. So yeah. in a way, you know, the joke was on him. It was the song is a lesson song. And the lesson is, don't do that. <laughs> Learn. 
do as I say, not as I do. Right. There you have it. <laughs> Fred, Fred's here to, to commit our sins for us so that we can learn from them. Exactly. He's like Jesus in that regard. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Fred. Thank you so much, Fred. Jesus with a snapback cap. But, you know, we're talking a lot about Fred, but I we, we got to talk about Wes Borland. Yeah. Please talk about Wes, that maniac motherfucker of a guitar player. Oh, my God. Like, so, like, Fred's a huge part of the sound. Don't get me wrong. Like, when I listen to Limp Bizkit, like, if Limp Bizkit, like, continued without Fred in some weird alternate universe, I'd be like, oh, my God, like, what the fuck? <laughs> With Wes Borland, part of the part of the appeal of Limp Bizkit is just the immediacy of the songs. They don't even necessarily have to be heavy, but they, they are oftentimes. Uh, but this, for some reason, this dude is able to write riffs that just make you want to get up and fucking punch people. <laughs> and I, I don't understand how that talent happens. I listen to a lot of metal bands. And I don't get at that impression, even from like the most aggressive, some of the more aggressive stuff on the spectrum. I don't feel the same way I feel when I'm listening to Limp Bizkit. Like there's just, there's energy, there's immediacy. I don't know if he spent like, I don't know if he spent like four hours in every practice coming up with the perfect guitar tone. The way his riffs hit, and then you mix it with, with as Joe said, Fred's expulsion of lyrics. <laughs> it just fucking works. And it shouldn't work. I mean, the thing with Wes is, though, is that, yeah, he, he has in his arsenal. I mean, the run from $3 all the way to Chocolate Starfish. How many classics does he drop in there? It's insane. It's crazy. What a run. What a run. And, uh, yeah, and it, and it seems like he can, you know, we, we've got the, 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 the real simple break stuff type things. And then you have more elaborate tappy things on stuff like rearranged and other stuff like that, where it's, he's getting a little bit more experimental, but still I'd say the only moment that they sort of veer out from the sound is, um, the last song on $3 bill when, which I think they can get away with because it's an album. Number one, you sort of haven't quite defined yourself yet. He knows his lane with this band. He stays in it and, uh, yeah, it just always keeps things interesting. I mean, and when I mean certainly when they came back with the Gold Cobra, I mean he's dropping some riffs on there that are beautiful, you devastating. Know? So yeah, and I think you know a lot of the time with Wes, it's it's really just like the mysteriousness too, like his his actual visual rep, like presentation, like in, in any of the videos is like you've got Fred who just seems like a dude, like you're like yeah, I could see that guy being a rap rocker, you know what I mean? Like it it makes sense. And then you got Wes over here that looks like he like was supposed to go on tour with Marilyn Manson, but like got lost and ended up on tour with Limp Bizkit. And like, it's so funny because mm -hmm. you just make these faces and just kind of like, I was going to say David Bowie on LSD, but yeah, I'll I take mean, yours. It depends on what tour it was because he was always changing it. Yeah. And it's also funny if you, when you look at all the other bands in the scene at the time, it, there was... I think this thought of like that initially he sort of fit with that same mold, the sort of, you know, outlandish outfits. A lot of other people had them, but then he really doubled down on it into the significant other era and then just kept upping the ante, upping the ante. And then when he rejoined the band um, and they were, I mean, now this, the, the outfits are so outlandish and yeah. so crazy. It's um, yeah. It, and it's a weird juxtaposition to see them. Has anyone seen them live besides me? I've seen them live. It was so long ago, and I was, I was just waiting. I was just recently. waiting for another band to go on. The visual juxtaposition of having Fred and sort of like 
white Adidas, like, uh, you know, he's, he does gloves now a lot. Um, and the rest of the band just sort of dressed normal, for lack of a better word. And then there's Wes in, like, head-to-toe, black, light-up, you know, <laughs> face paint. It's just... You know, it's it's like another world now. Did he it's, have the glowing suit the last time you saw him, Lauren? Uh, I don't know if it was a glowing suit. I know it was something elaborate with the face, um, with the face work though. But I think there was a lot of black trench coats. Yeah, possibly. Yes, he's real famous for that. And it's very simple, but something to me always stood out visually. Here's John Otto with his giant drum kit turned 45 degrees playing these badass grooves and then DJ Lethal is just over here at his giant rolling red table. To me, there was something always strange about that, like the band had to come in and set up and actually tune everything and I always just pictured DJ Lethal would just roll in, put his headphones on and, alright guys, I'm ready to go. Oh, you're not ready yet? Like, fuck you, dude, seriously? <laughs> you gotta get your levels on your two turntables, you know? Well, that's one of the fun things about Limp Bizkit, too, is like, as far as rap rock goes, the only band that I'd really heard that played that style was Rage Against the Machine before uh, before Limp Bizkit. And they, they had kind of more of like a bare bones, like drier sound, you know, and like that's mm -hmm. that's actually my biggest criticism of Rage is that like, they're really good, but they're they're really dry sounding. If there's a texture to their music, it's like sandpaper. No depth to your ears? To me, you know, I know there's a lot of people, Tom Morello is, is a guitar god and all that, and I, I don't get it, but I understand why people feel that way. Uh, it's good you understand that. You don't get it? I don't get it. it it's, okay, let me put it this way. Here we go. I understand it, but it's not my preference. Okay, that makes more sense. Okay, like I, I understand that, like, that he's, <laughs> I understand that he's great. Okay. But I just don't appreciate. Right. I just don't necessarily appreciate what he does. Just check. Okay, Lauren like Kozlowski a, just came out like, with a broadsword. Like, I'm about and gentlemen. to sign the fuck out of Skype. Yeah, <laughs> this is like a Josh Toomey Pantera situation here. Uh, oh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, so I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say with that is that like Rage had rapping, but I didn't feel the hip hop element like I felt it with Limp Bizkit, and I think DJ Lethal was a huge part of that. Um, just creating that sound. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine. Again, it's another member of the band. Like, every member of the band was so integral to their overall sound. And I know that might sound like a really basic statement, but there's, like, there's tons of bands out there where, like, you can fucking swap out the drummer. You can swap out the guitar player. You can swap out the, you know, in, in certain cases, like, you can swap out the lead singer, you know? Like, it doesn't matter. But with Limp Bizkit, uh, I feel like they were never good unless they were that lineup. You know, or I mean, they were, they were, but like, I guess really the only, the only members of the band I can really think of that, that the band has to have, it, they, in my, in my mind, the perfect Limp Bizkit has to be John Otto, Fred Durst and Wes Borland at the very least and DJ Lethal. Like it's, it's like, there's no substituting that. And whenever we get into albums where members are missing, it becomes dreadfully noticeable. Like it, it, it's, it's very starkly different. Well, throw Sam Rivers yeah. in there too. I mean, the way he and Wes work together, his bass playing versus Wes's guitar playing, they almost change places. It just, it just kind of works. I'm I, a lead singer, so I hate bass players. I'm sorry. Wow, <laughs> man. I know it's 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 a it's my cross to bear. Do we even talk about the album? So significant other. Holy shit! Yeah, like, well, yeah. um, banger after banger after banger after banger. Most of the first songs that a lot of people heard from Limp Bizkit that didn't hear $3 Bill, y'all, 
it all came from this record. Rearranged, fucking break stuff, uh, nookie. No sex. No sex. Trust. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all there. It's almost too much album. It's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty wild record. Uh, I mean, yeah, just the run of just like this into Nookie into Break Stuff. That's a great three track run. Um, I've always been a fan of Nobody Like You. I think that song's killer. Uh, 1999, Trust. Yeah, this is a real hot record. When it came out, I was yeah, I was like, this is it. These guys have really done it. This is a killer killer album. I think Perception of Fred too. Obviously, was pretty favorable I yeah. mean, obviously like if everybody hated everywhere. them they wouldn't have sold as much uh but like this record just absolutely took off and i think part of the reason too is that like fred didn't seem damaged like john davis seemed damaged so there was a certain wider scope of relatability with fred durst than there was with like a jonathan davis just because like john davis like fred durst says some pretty fucked up shit like but John Jonathan Davis writes a magnum opus song about like you know fucking sex strangulation, you know like there there was a there was a huge. Are you sure you're not talking about Chino? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about Chino on this episode, uh, but I, I will say that like Corn kind of had like their fan base. Like I, I don't feel like the average. Like I feel like Corn got really big, but I feel like Limp Bizkit got big quicker because they were more relatable people liked hip-hop people liked hard rock but it wasn't so alienating especially on especially on significant other because i feel like the lyrics were just way more relatable i mean if you look at the lyrics to break stuff you know it's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up everybody can relate to that everything is fucked everybody sucks yeah we we all like we're, we're in I mean, the other thing is, I think with Limp Bizkit was they had a song for everybody and you could much you, you could get away with playing Limp Bizkit in a mixed company more than you ever could with a lot of these other bands. You know, there's you could uh, I worked at Best Buy during like peak Limp Bizkit era and people of all stripes were coming in all the time, picking this album up, you know, and it was just, uh, yeah, there was, they would, they kept putting singles out for it. How many singles they put up from this album? They put out at least six, oh, at only, least only, seven, only six, seven. They only put, it's only officially four nookie rearranged in together now and break stuff. But I'm sure some radio stations pulled some other ones out. Um, I'm sure no sex got some play. I'm sure a 1999 got some play. So uh, people are hearing these, and, and I mean, basically, you're covering a lot of your, your bases there too. You've got, you've got your ballad, you've got your rap song, you got your heavy crusher. I mean, it's a good, it was a good, you know, release strategy on those songs. So I, uh, I think, uh, I think they just had, uh, you know, just a smart formula on this one. And sometimes the formula is not bad. This this album's the perfect storm album for them. Everything comes together on this album. Well, yeah, and that female following, like you were saying, Lauren, is just very, like, he's more sensitive. He writes an amazing breakup song with, with Rearranged. I mean, I like, thought the whole album was a breakup. <laughs> yeah, it really. Essentially. I'm really coming back is. to that, but that was the grief. story I was told. <laughs> I definitely remember thinking, listening to this album, even back in the day, like when I didn't, like, hate new metal or, like, I don't hate new metal now, but there was a period of time where I did. I remember thinking, though, Wow, this guy does not take rejection well. <laughs> like, it's real. Like every song that's about a relationship with Fred Durst on this album. Really, nineteen ninety nine. Dan thought that exact is, thing. <laughs> okay, maybe I've added a little bit of twenty nineteen Dan into that. But like, it's always like 
I was rejected, but it's because she's wrong, <laughs> you know, and it's because mm-hmm. I'm the bigger man. I'm the bigger person, you know, and I'm, I'm the guy with the fucking record deal. I'm the guy that's making all the success. And like, I understand how like psychologically that works out really well for him, but it's kind of funny because it's very predictable where they're going to go later. Not so much on chocolate starfish, but the, the results may vary era is, uh, just like you, you, you could predict that album even as far back as significant other. Are you ready for the glory? That is the chocolate starfish <laughs> best album title ever. I can't be, I, I'm, I'll never be ready for chocolate starfish. I hated this album for years and loved it at the same time. Yep. And then out of nowhere, Lauren Kozlowski and the Roach Coach pops up and says, you guys don't understand. He was fucking with pop music, and that's why it's great. And I turned around and looked at it again and said, okay, I'll bite. Put the album back in and said, I've been wrong the whole time. Yep. You are welcome. I'm always happy to change everyone's opinion about new metal, even if it takes one person at a time. You did for me, man. Like when we when we started this podcast, like I was very very staunchly like no new metal at all. He and was. I'd like he would do corn. Like well, we could do corn, but that's yeah. It. Jo- Josh was like, <laughs> well, come on, how can we not do limp? Josh took right? me out to a it? nice steak dinner and bought me some beers, and you know well, was like. like Come on, man. Let's let's do let's do a corn episode. Come on. Once you get corn out of the way, you'll here, want to do more. Here we are at the end of our second new metal May, and you know it's 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 one of those like being honest with yourself about what you liked as a child, and this it did get better than this. Like for a, for a while, like this band had such an impact that it, it's only it's only inevitable that whenever a record like Chocolate Starfish comes out. That it couldn't have been like more anticipated. I remember hearing that, like, I remember thinking it had a stupid title, but like, I don't think I got it when I was younger either. I mean, I don't think that's changed. Um, you know, I think it's still, you know, a dumb title, uh, but it is something where I think if they'd given it a more normal title, uh, it probably would not be thought of so negatively even though like quality wise i think it's even a step up over a significant other uh but because it has that name i think it's uh it's an easy target and the funny thing is that you know calling your second album significant other that's pretty clever yeah. for a new metal band mm-hmm. um you know when you consider how what most bands in the genre call their albums you know uh you know, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, just in general, you know, Annihilation and, you know, Fallout and, you know, just, you know, the general sort of aggressive and sort of name, one word, two word names, you know, um, Significant Other just seems almost clever. But then Chocolate Starfish is just a run on the complete opposite end uh, that, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of time when I hear people say like, oh, Limp Bizkit, oh, those Chocolate Starfish guys, I'm like, it's you literally are just the name like you probably haven't heard more than like a song yeah and i also think that at the time it was kind of the perfect title because they were going pop there was no doubt Mm -hmm. about that they were on trl they were they were everywhere yeah so they want to still be edgy i guess a little bit because that's what they're known for they're known for being this band that's super edgy and plays this aggressive style but like they're catching on because they're just that fucking good, you know, like, and that, 
that was the image they wanted to portray. So when you call an album chocolate starfish in the hot dog flavored water, I can't even say it with a straight face. No one can. But it's <laughs> it's the perfect title for when it came out. Hey, Dan, Limp Biscuit's going on tour, and it's going to be free to the first 3,000 people. You know who's paying for it? Napster. Oh, you know yeah. those guys that don't make any money except, you know, they're paying for Limp Biscuit to go on tour? Right. So in 2000, despite what I think about this album today, the general consensus was that Limp Biscuit was shit and Fred Durst was a douche. Visually, yes, he appeared to be a douche. My only complaint with the album prior to listening to the Roach Coach episode that changed my mind was that this is when Fred became the most full of himself. When your thing is hip-hop mixed with metal, eventually you're going to fall into your own set of tropes. And in hip-hop, there's a thing called the MC. Fred doesn't have an MC, so Fred decides to MC himself. No big deal. He puts a lot of unnecessary echo on himself, which leads to the ultimate joke of Fred is backing up Fred. You know what? Sometimes you just got to trust yourself. I don't think that's any different than what we described as the Jonathan Davis choir. I was going to say, choir. Jonathan Davis, we did the yeah, same thing. Like where he would record like 80 takes of himself singing. This was the, the year 2000. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's that different. I don't think it's that bad. But this is this is where, as far as perception of Fred, really starts to change. Yeah, I mean, he doubles down on the Fred Durst of it all. And, I mean, yeah, putting out a song like Roland, I mean... It's you're setting yourself up. Same thing with, you know, my generation. Uh, I mean, the intro, I mean, Hot Dog, that song. I mean, that's that's sort of doubling down on the image in a way that is. How many times can we say fuck in a song? Yeah. Yeah. That that uh, that really that set the mold and broke it right there. Uh, there was no coming back after that. Um, the thing about this record, though, I mean, <sighs> Hot dog into my generation, into full Nelson, into my way, into rolling, into living it up. What a run. Insane. Insane. And then you could say it takes a bit of a, you know, breather with the one and get your groove on, but then take a look around. It'll be okay, boiler. This record is stacked. Stacked. And it may only fall apart at the very end with the air raid vehicle. Uh, well, that, but that when depends. your thing is hip hop and you hang out with hip hop guys. It's eventually going to just happen. So, I mean, that I is a thing. A I think that's a classic. The DMX verse on it is all time. I, I love it. I still prefer the original Roland. Yep. But that could just be the not rap fan in me. Uh, could be. You know, but then again, the, you have to beg the question of why you're listening to Limp Biscuit anyway. Uh, and the reason is because riffs. You know, that's right. I mean, th this band chugs and slaps. Slaps is a new thing that kids say, so I'm trying to say it to sound cool. Uh, but it, it really does. Like, and on this record especially, yeah, it's a fucking pop record. Like, we get we have to just get that out of the way like immediately, and then just kind of go with it. And I think this record still did really well. And so whenever I talk about the perception of Fred, I feel like it wasn't until after this album's tour cycle was over that everybody just decided, oh, Fred's a fucking douche. You know, he's the kind of guy you don't really want to be around. And and I, I guess the thing that I can't figure out is why. What is it about Chocolate Starfish that made everybody turn on Fred? It's not Chocolate Starfish. It's Fred. I've heard the term, 
it's a Dane Cook situation. Uh, I was just thinking that. But I think that the Dane Cook situation should be called the Fred Durst situation. The argument has been that Dane Cook was never funny. The only reason he was successful is because women thought he was hot. You could make the argument that Fred Durst was popular as a person because girls thought he was the shit. And guys justified it by listening to Break Stuff and Rearranged and Nookie and Faith. And then when we get to Chocolate Starfish, we're over this idea that your girlfriend thinks Fred Durst is hot. Joe, do you think that Fred Durst is attractive? Sounds like you have a man crush. Do you not say, think Fred Durst is attractive? I kind of I kind of dug into that a little bit He's more okay. maybe than you wanted me to, but I'm starting to wonder. <laughs> do you think Fred Durst is the hottest front man you guys have ever done on the show? We have occasionally talked about how hot or not hot the lead singer of the band is. It's the okay. blue eyes. Uh, I will say, well, we have actually haven't released that episode yet, but I would say that, no, the hottest, the hottest front man of a band would be the lead singer of Between the Buried and Me. <laughs> Look behind the curtain. That episode's done and edited. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's funny. We, 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 actually, we actually have dug into that before. Uh, but I think Fred Durst, I remember, I mean, no, I mean, I, I remember being in, in, in high school and there were tons of, of female fans that, that dug Fred Durst. Or they at least, they, and I don't necessarily think it was his body or his physical attractiveness necessarily. It was just. Charisma. It was just the attitude, yeah, the charisma, the the look at me. I came from I came from fucking nothing, and I'm in the biggest band in the world now. You know, like to be clear, I agree with Lauren entirely. Fred Durst may be the best frontman of all time, in that he can make <laughs> everybody in front of him pay attention to what he is doing and like it. So what changed? Well, uh, you have the specific alchemy of the band. Are you talking about? Are you talking about what what changed for like Fred's perception? I think it's a social thing. I think you can only run this type of genre of music so far, and then you're gonna hit some sort of uh, new genre of uh, sort of a new cool. Like Fred Durst in '99, early 2000. That's pretty cool. Cool dude. But then, but then you hit uh, basically the rise of like the Strokes and bands like that. And that's cool. And then that whole the whole new metal genre just seems sort of corny all of a sudden or played out or it's like and it, you know that it, and it happens very quickly like that. And suddenly, uh, yeah, you, you don't have the same social cachet that you once did. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess. And yeah. And then as far as like what happens to the band, I mean, obviously you've got this perfect alchemy of these guys all working together. Wes leaves the band. And then that takes us to the next era. It falls apart. I don't want to talk about this album. All right, we're uh, talking about Big Dumb Face now. Oh no, we're yeah, yeah, right. It was a switch over. <laughs> but uh, no, I can dream. I don't even like Big Dumb Face as much as I like Limp Bizkit. But oh. you know that that's 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 the frustrating thing. And I keep beating this dead horse. But like as far as perception goes, I understand how he became not cool. But I don't understand where the hatred came from. Because it wasn't just like, he's not cool anymore. I don't really believe that he's a tough guy or whatever. Like, I never believed Fred Durst was a tough guy. But the uh, but, but the, the whole perception of, like, he's cool, but now it's now it's kind of old. It, ha- it hasn't aged well. But then to go from, like, he is the textbook definition of what everybody considers a douchebag, literally overnight. 
I mean, he did a lot of stuff. I mean, he I mean, he, he was notorious for walking around and saying that he wanted to hook up with this girl, hook up with that girl. He used to try to do that sort of, um, I don't know the exact term, term for it, but it's sort of like um, putting things out into the universe, and verbalizing it with the idea being that it will come back to you. So when he was making Results May Vary, he would go on talk shows and say things like, like, what's inspiring you on this record? And he'd be like, oh, I have a picture of Angelina Jolie on the wall and I'm using that as inspiration. And like, oh, have you met her? He's like, no, I haven't, but I'd like to. And then and then that suddenly puts it out there where then they these same interviewers will then go interview Angelina Jolie and go, do you know him? He's like, I, she's like, I don't know him. Like, well, do you want to meet him? And then it, it's all out there, you know? And so he, so he has this rep of that being that type of guy, you know, insinuating relationships with someone that he didn't actually have. I mean, there's the entire Britney Spears controversy in which by all accounts, he probably did have a relationship with her and she just flat out ignored it and, or, you know, played it down. Um, you know, uh, I mean, he did, she's the only celebrity that he's actually written a song about, although it didn't actually make the album. Uh, he had a relationship you know, in Fred's mind. <laughs> Fred yeah. thought they had a relationship. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, let's, let's dive into results may vary. So what do you, uh, how was your experience with that one, Dan? I had, oh, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know everybody's. We'll get to you. I like the, okay. So this album does not sound like Limp Bizkit, except for a couple of times. Obviously they have the song Head for the Barricade on this album, which is another great podcast you should check out. But like that song was cool. The rest of it doesn't sound like Limp Biscuit. It sounds like Fred the album. Like I'll give it that. Like he he fucking digs deep, man, on, on a lot of this stuff. But it's so starkly contrast to this image and everything. And like I feel like if I had actually listened to this album when it came out, I might have appreciated it a little bit more because you do get to see the human being Fred Durst and not all the hype and all the stuff that you had on the previous three albums. But one of the biggest issues I have with it is that it just, it sounds very butt rock. It sounds very It's very down. cold. It's very stained. It's very, it's very obvious that it's not Wes Borland playing guitar. I mean, oh my God. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it, it's like a huge fucking black hole on the whole thing. And like, did it have to be as long as it was? Like the, oh my God. It I just never fucking it ends, dude. So I was at work today. I listened to this whole album today while I was working. And so I went to a customer's house. I talked to them about what they wanted on their garage door. I drove like 40 minutes back to my warehouse to get what they wanted and then drove 40 minutes back to their house and like installed all the shit and then got back in my car and the whole time the album's playing in my like Bluetooth headset. And, like, I get back in my car after all of that, and the fucking album's still not over. Like, I'm getting to I'm getting to Behind Blue Eyes at that point. And I'm like, fuck. Like, why does this have to be so long? And, like, I'm, like, working slower because it's not, like, it's not the same level of energy that we'd had on previous albums. It's so long. It's so overdrawn. And even though I appreciate the lyrics, like, I'm, I'm very much of two minds of it because... I like hearing about Fred Durst, the person, but at the same time, it's the same criticism I have of a lot of new metal vocalists 
in that they are equally the fucking aggressor and the victim. He'll, mm-hmm. he'll release he'll release songs where he's like, I was a skater kid in high school, and I had a gothy girlfriend, and I got picked on a lot. And then two songs later, he's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. You know, like, it just doesn't really work well, on an album like that. Like, 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 pick one or the other. Are you going to be super sensitive? Because, like, that album has really... It, it, it has a little bit of a thematic contradiction in that it some songs he's trying to capture the old Limp Bizkit sound and then other songs he just goes straight emotion. Josh, what do you think? I honestly could not get through the entire album because it was so long. Like, You're fired. I, I know. I know. It was hard. I tried. And like Dan said, like, it's a it's it's a it's like it's like a Fred Durst solo album is more of what it reminds me of. It it doesn't sound like anything traditional from Limp Bizkit in the past. I miss West Borland desperately on this album. But like Dan said, it's it's cool to hear the lyric side of it because you don't hear Fred Durst act like that. Like he puts on this front in the first three albums. Like at this point he's like become he was such a parody of himself, I think at this point it was kinda cool to see real Fred Durst, not the Hey, I'm up here wanting to bang chicks, you know, get drunk, have a great time. You know, the Fred Durst that we know beforehand. So I, I like some of the the lyric side of it. I like the cover of Behind Blue Eyes. He does a good job. You can you can tell what he sings on it. I just I couldn't finish it album. It was I got to the point. I'm like, all right, I, I can't do this anymore. Like it it was just flatlining. It, yeah, just not a lot of pump to it. Not a lot of. It's just blah. Blah was my term. It was just blah. If it makes you feel any better, the last two tracks are not, um, well, they're not bangers. No, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I definitely agree with Dan. Like, when you're listening to the first three albums, like, you're you're up, you're moving around, you're bouncing around, you like the beat, you want to do stuff. And then this one, it's like, oh, I'm dragging ass. Now I don't want to do anything. I want to go take a nap now. Like, I miss, the, I miss prior Limp Bizkit before this for sure. But I do like seeing real Fred Durst. That's kind of a cool, like, not his persona, the real Fred Durst. Sometimes. Well, yeah, sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. Not to say that it was all great, but it's at least cool to get a glimpse of that. Just, you know, if you're going to do it, do the Fred Durst solo album, but don't put Limp Bizkit on it. Yeah. Uh, Joe, what did you think? I called about as much bullshit on this album as a human being could pull back when it first came out. Okay, Wes Borland is leaving the band. Not a big deal. I didn't throw a fit about that. But then they did the bullshit press move where they went on a tour of guitar centers to try to find their replacement guitarist. I remember this now <laughs> yeah, that you bring yeah. it up. I and totally remember after that. all that time spent and all those dates and people that would go and stand in line and do their thing and try to impress, I assume Fred Durst or whoever his manager was at the time, I truly don't know. They pick Mike Smith, former guitarist of Snot, Great choice if you want somebody who knows how to write music that is batshit insane, although a different type of batshit insane. But it wasn't really. It wasn't even as aggressive as snot. That's true. So he pulls a Jason (laughs) Truby and does the best he can with the band he was not a founding member of. He tries to fill in and do what he does. Do I think he's to blame for this? No. I just don't think Limp Bizkit can write Limp Biscuit without the core group. Because John Otto, if it was him, he could have said something. It's definitely not DJ Lethal because he's not playing the guitar. All Fred had to say was, be more like Wes. And he probably could have pulled it off. 
So this had to be a group decision. I think it's mediocre. It feels more like a solo record. The cover definitely appears to be a solo record. I don't know how anyone else feels about putting the lead singer's face on the cover of an album, but I think hey, it's a great sh- choice sometimes. Shut up, okay? <laughs> um, it's got good songs, but I don't remember them as Limp Biscuit songs. I remember them as songs I've heard on the radio, and that's about it. All right, well, we need to get Lauren Kozlowski's opinion on this album because there's tons of Roach Coach listeners tuning in because their favorite thing about when Lauren comes on the show is that he he gives his opinion on an album that he hasn't covered on his show yet. Really? Oh, yeah. That's a thing? Oh, that's uh, very much a thing. So uh, I can tell you that um, when this album came out, I reviewed it for my college paper and I gave it a positive review. And I I liked Eat You Alive. I liked Reentry. Uh, Head for the Barricade is good. Um, I... I definitely didn't start to feel the fatigue of this record until honestly later, like years later, listening to it and being like, oh, there's a lot of mid-tempo songs on this thing. This album can drag. Um, and also it's redundant. Uh, the By the time you get to songs like Let Me Down and The Lonely World, um, which are tracks 10 and 11, uh, he's already covered that on Underneath the Gun and Down Another Day and Almost Over and Build a Bridge. Um, the fact that Almost Over goes into Build a Bridge is <laughs> such a kneecap. Of like, oh my God, you're yeah. like, if we could just go, go up for a second. And it's like, no, no, no. I've got another slow song. Like, oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. There's 18 uh, fucking songs on this album. Um, and the, uh, yeah, it, it's funny is, is that also when you get through the run of Phenomenon into Kramer into Head for the Barricade, you're like, oh, okay, we're ending on a high note. And then it's like, oh no, we've got a cover of a mid tempo song. And then that is then followed by another slow song. And then we're done. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very funny. And it's funny. It's also it's a lot of the, the songs that were teased for this album, uh, like Just Drop Dead and stuff like that, uh, were much more upbeat. And uh, yeah, for whatever reason, did not uh, did not make uh, did not make the cut. Um, also, a song like Armpit, which is not very good, um, only <laughs> appears on the uh, Japanese edition of the song of the album, um, but much more in the vein of what I think people wanted. Um, and I do agree though, like this is the only album cover that features Fred Durst, like it has his face. All the other album covers don't feature anything of the band. They feel they feature something artistic or, you know, a, a, a Wes art or something like They're that. They're all Wes Borland paintings. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, um, I would say on my, on my, I only listened to this album once for the show. No offense. Um, I had to listen to the whole discography. Uh, but, uh, Dude, it's fine. I, I, uh, I, I did, I did get a little weary in the middle. I don't know when we eventually do this album for the show. I don't know how, how I will lay out right now. But I do definitely think it is on the lower end of the Limp Bizkit discography. I mean, I do agree that you do, you do notice the the lack of West because they keep trying to do West type things, working in little tappy noises working in those bright tones like they're they're definitely still trying to do that which also may be a situation where it's not so much that they're doing west but that that wes's sound was part of a collaboration with sam 
And, uh, you know, Sam was sort of maybe saying to Mike Smith, hey, this is how we do it. Uh, Looking at the songwriting credits, Mike Smith has writing credits on one, two, three, seven songs on the album. Which is not that Uh, many considering this album. No. It's 16 16 tracks long. Exactly. Um, So, yeah. So you have to, you know, keep that in mind uh, that, you know, and I mean, there are, you know, Head plays guitar on one. Head from Corn plays guitar on a song. Um, you know, they had songs that didn't, uh, make the cut that were co-written by, um, uh, Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. They had songs that they worked on with, uh, Paige Hamilton from Helmet. Uh, so this, this saw album went through a lot of iterations to get to what it was presented in front of us. Um, and the other thing about why this record was not successful is, I mean, it came out in 2003. It came out the same day as outcast uh speaker box love below deck was stacked yeah like who gave a fuck about limp biscuit when this album came out unfortunately i bought this album from a kmart and they gave me a free poster of the band well that's kind of cool that was kind of cool do you still have it, the poster i do not because it's a poster of the band without westborough you're like it goes it goes for like 75 percent less on ebay yeah. <laughs> it might. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was not one that I don't think yeah, that one I don't think made made the many moves of my life since college. Sweet. You ready? Let's dive into the next album. Well, this one might be a me and Lauren thing because The Unquestionable Truth is definitely not an album. You are full of shit. Ooh. It's an album. It was marketed so, as an album. It was marketed it was as marketed an album. Marketed and sold as an album. Sold at full price at all realtors as an album. It is only Due to Wikipedia trying to alter history, listing it as an EP, this motherfucker was sold as an album. I view it as an album. Lauren, I find it unfortunate that you paid full price for that EP. Really? (laughs) I've paid EP prices for singles before. It's okay. We're going to get through this together. Joe, if you haven't heard it. I bought it at Best Buy, so I got Lost Leader prices, baby. Oh. I don't think you understand. Like, for years, everybody was like, When's Limp Biscuit gonna sound like Limp Biscuit? I mean, some people said that. I don't know how many people said that, but I remember Fred posting on whatever the equivalent of social media was in 2005. MySpace, 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 MySpace yeah, I think is and what basically it was. saying like me and Wes Borland have locked ourselves in a studio and we are going to come up with the sickest shit that's only for hardcore new metal fans which was a really bold statement in 2005 because, I mean, the populace at large could not have given two shits about new metal that year. I mean, that nobody cared. 2005? I, I mean, you're talking the hottest tour that... The hottest tour I remember was the Nine Snails were back um, and they toured with Queens of Stone Age. That was, that was the hot tour. In 2005, um, I saw... What was it? It was Bless the Fall, Between the Buried and Me, and... Norma Jean should have got a third band with the B name. They should have. They should have. (laughs) There, there were other bands there, but I can't remember them. But yeah, that's just kind of funny now that you say that. I never made that connection at all. So this record is uh, when it came out. I I didn't really, uh, didn't really resonate with me. Um, I don't think I was in the headspace for whatever they were doing. I mean, I listen to it now, and Wes is just bringing vicious heat. I mean, riffs are just ripping through this thing. And 29 minutes. Perfect. You did it. You know? Uh, so, yeah. Uh, 
Fred's going for um, he's leaning into sort of like a Zach De La Roca thing, uh, which is weird. Um, you know, it it and the way that it ultimately ended up, you know, coming out being received um, makes it seem like more like an oddity and a curiosity at this point. I don't even know if they do. I know they were doing either the propaganda or the truth would show up every now and again on set lists. Um, but this thing's largely been ignored by them, or at least by Fred, in the long term. And odds are we're never going to get um, a part two. Part two. We'll never get part two. It's frustrating, too, because I think this is their best work. Uh, Whoa! It, no, no, no. Whoa! I didn't, I didn't finish. This is their best work since Significant Other. Whoa! Whoa! Really? <laughs> I like it more than Chocolate Starfish because I'm a fucking meathead metal fan. I like heavy shit, and this record is full of heavy shit. He's about to tear this room apart. He's Dude. a meathead. Dude, no joke. I install garage doors for a living. <laughs> okay. Here we go. I fucking... Meat. I, I fucking put this album on. I had a playlist. It was... This album and Gold Cobra, just like as one album. And I installed three 16 foot by seven foot garage doors in three hours listening to this. This is this morning. This is not some kind of like, you know, oh, I did this once. Like, this is like this morning because this album is a get shit done kind of album. And Gold Cobra, even that we're going to jump into, but like, this was so heavy, so aggressive, so in the pocket. And at this point, I'd listened to their discography so many times that I was like, I couldn't wait to get to this one <laughs> because I was like, this is them doing what they kind of did on $3 Bill, but in a more modern setting. I mean, there's no denying that the riffs are, 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 are more modern, a little bit more in line with what heavy music fans would look for now. And by now, I mean in 2005. <laughs> so it, it, it definitely hits really hard. And in my opinion, it is yeah. It, I, I like it more than Chocolate Starfish. Just this, just this seven songs, and uh, I like the lyrical content more because yeah, he is doing a Zach De La Roca thing, but like, I think it's okay because I I got really tired of hearing like shit about Fred's life on the previous album. Yeah, yeah. So you got to think if you're listening to all the albums in one go, you're fucking exhausted by the time you're done with Results May Vary. And so you go into this and you're like, fuck yeah, this is what I'm talking about. This is what this band actually sounds like. You know, they did a weird thing on this album. I'm willing to forgive that now that I have this. I mean, I think the other thing is that this was sort of a, the rare move where Fred is, you know, I mean, it's, I, I think we can all agree on results may vary. He's got his head up his ass. It's like he took his head out of his ass and he looked around and he was like, what is going on? Are you saying he have took you guys a look seen around this? He took a look around. He listened to his own album and he said, hey. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. There's priests molesting children, man. It's terrible. Let's rap about it. Wes, you got some riffs? Great. Let's do it. John? Oh, John can't come. We'll get Sammy Seigler to drum. Okay, let's go. They did a... Apparently, a documentary was filmed about the making of this album, but tensions were so high that it's never been released. I know John Otto actually plays on one of the songs. He plays on the channel. And then they basically told uh, him to get the fuck out of there. I, 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 I don't know the whole thing. The one rumor I heard was that he was dealing with drug issues at the time. Mm, I see. That'll do uh, it. That's the best. Yeah. Um, they wanted to be pure biscuit. Dan, enough from you and me. What, is, what, is that, what do the other guys think? I don't know if they've heard it. 
No, because I thought it was an EP, so I... Because that's what they listed as an EP. So, you know, I guess it depends uh, on if you consider it an album or an EP. And I have a pretty strong fuck EPs rule. You know what? I got to say, it being listed Very as an EP so. on Wikipedia, that's some straight up Spawn soundtrack shit, man. I'm just saying. Now, I wanna, now I'm curious it's to go back lie. and listen to it. It's a lie. It's an album. It sounds like it's an album. I mean, it sounds it pretty is. hardcore. It's 29 minutes. It's fine. If, if, if a lot of the albums we listen to on this fucking show were 29 minutes, we'd have a lot more episodes out. That's like, no joke. This is, dude, seriously, when I put a fucking 78 minute album in, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, I don't, I can't do this. But like, this was, this was perfect. A gift. It was, it was like a, Hey guys, everything's going to be okay. Was this when Wes and Fred did the interview together and said, we don't get along we understand that we don't get along, but when this group is together, magic happens. So I, Wes Borland, am going to be in Limp Biscuit again, and we're just going to make music, and hopefully you all enjoy it. Was that now in 2005, or did that come later before Gold Cobra? Um, I feel like it probably was around this time, um, because I know when he rejoined in 2009, it was basically consistent the whole way through. And the thing is that their relationship has clearly only gotten stronger um, because he was doing interviews and in, I want to say 20, 2014, 2015, where they would ask him straight up, are you and Fred friends? And he would pause and he'd say, yeah, we're good. And then now, I mean, post their tour last summer, he was hanging out at Fred's house. They were driving around together and doing stuff together. And so clearly, you know, they're probably in their older age are probably the best friends they've ever been in their lives. They're fine. It's uh Did I go to was I too optimistic? You no, know, no, they're, they're, they're fine. I think Lauren. they're fine. I think it's one of those like you don't always like your coworkers, right? Right. You know, and and Limp Biscuit's a job. Do you think West Borland sold as many big dumb face albums as he sold Limp Biscuit albums? I'm going to go I ahead mean, and say no if you're actually thinking about that question. <laughs> he definitely did not. Um, well, I mean, I guess we're out and are we talking Gold Cobra, baby? Oh, my God. 2011. Let's talk about Gold fucking Cobra. Shotgun. So I got made fun of a lot today. <laughs> By who? Because, as I said, so so I installed garage doors, right? So If anybody knows that. Okay, yeah. I case. mean, I, wait, hold on. Hold on a second. <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Does Dan does Dan install garage doors? He does. Give Lauren, me, I don't know if you know this. Give me a call if a spring breaks in your, on your garage door. I am just, <laughs> I want to be clear on what Dan does for a living because I don't know if he has told us yet what he does. What I'm getting at is that it is a, it is a lot of new construction jobs. Like I'll pull up and okay. the, gar- mm-hmm. the house is being built basically, right. but they want a garage door there so that the carpenters that are working on the house can put their tools in there and it's lockable and all that good shit. So these fucking carpenters, God bless them, are fucking trying to do their job. <laughs> and I am in the garage blasting Gold Cobra really loud. I mean, like, not even, like, not considerate of anybody around. Just nothing. I mean, just, just as loud as I possibly can. And for some reason, I took a liking to the song Douchebag a lot. <laughs> and so I would just play that fucking song on repeat. And these dudes are like, hey, dude, um, could you listen to like some good music? And I was like, are you deaf? Uh, and they're like, are you listening to Lip Biscuit? They're like, I don't even know these songs. 
And I'm like, well, that's that sounds like a problem that you have. I mean, you need to you need to work on that. Did and you tell them that the dean of new metal was going to be on your podcast tonight? I didn't. Do, last time I did that, it did not work out very well for me. I, I I was listening to an episode of Roach Coach, and one of the carpenters was like, "Oh, this is a cool podcast. How do I subscribe to it?" And so I you know I told him and and all that, and I was like, "Oh, hey, I also have a podcast." And he's like, "Not interested." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> oh. so I'll, I'll never make that mistake again." But uh, <laughs> that's not how I thought that story was going to go. But these guys are like, dude, you can't listen to Limp Biscuit like while we're working. It's it's distracting. And I'm like, look, I'm I'm really sorry you feel that way. And I was like, what would you what would you prefer that I listen to? And they're like, why don't you listen to like a good metal band like Godsmack? And I was oh. like, I was like, <laughs> wow. As a fan of Godsmack, they are not metal. And I was like, okay, if my choices are Limp Biscuit, Gold Cobra. Or any Godsmack album, I guess count me as a uh, as a Durst disciple, man. Like I I can't. I, I'm sorry, I, I can't fulfill your request. <laughs> I just can't do it. And so those guys had to listen to Douchebag for the next hour on repeat. But then you just they were looped Douchebag. I looped Douchebag. <laughs> <He did. laughs> wow. Was just fuck you, fuck you, fuck you up, fuck you, fuck wow. you, fuck you up. Yeah. It was a little disrespectful and, you know. A little bit. I feel bad because, like, I'm going to have to see those guys again. <laughs> Next <laughs> week. Gonna, Next time it's going to be Zayo. Once they install the... Well, that, that's what they normally have to listen to is, like, really loud fucking ag- abrasive shit. But, I mean, isn't Gold Cobra a really loud abrasive shit? It sounded like it to me. Because this is a return to form like I've never seen. I feel like this is what $3 bill y'all would sound like if it was recorded in 2011. No, 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 no. It's not $3 bill y'all. I like it more than that. Because it sounds modern and because West Borland has this way of making me able to get shit done really quickly, this album was what I needed to get to this podcast on time tonight. While so pissing off your coworkers. In, so in your older age... You rate albums now on how well they help you get your job done and get from one location to another? Absolutely. Okay. It's a huge part of my no, job. Just, just, just curious. I don't get paid by the hour. I get paid per garage door that's installed. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it behooves me to get four done in a day. Right. You know, like $100 a door. It's like, you know, if you, mm-hmm. you, 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 I can, understand. you can do one or two doors a day and that's fine, but... If, if, if you could listen to a song like Douchebag for an hour on... on <laughs> and I don't understand it because like this is so kind of opposite of what I would normally listen to. Like, you know, because I'll, I'll play Cannibal Corpse and shit like while I'm working and the coworkers don't love it, but then I guess they're like afraid to talk to me after that. <laughs> so they don't say anything. But, but in this case, it was like... In 2019, I found it strange that it was some kind of federal offense to be listening to Limp Biscuit while installing a door or doing carpentry work. <laughs> and uh, I, it, it's it's weird to me, and to, to come back to my favorite word on this episode, perception. Like, is it still cool to hate Fred Durst? No. <laughs> I, I mean, clearly it is. I mean, the thing I find all the time is, you know, people find out I do a show about new metal, and they, they cock their head, and they Say really like Limp Bizkit and stuff like that, and either it's like they haven't thought about those bands in a while, or they, yeah, they've have that rooted. Like I said, that perception of Fred Durst is so 
heavy in the zeitgeist that it uh that that's what embedded on a lot of people forever um i do like the idea though of just being like you're listening to limp biscuit and not the songs we know <laughs> right <not> yeah <laughs> it's like they have other really great songs yeah I, uh, it's you know it's like oh this food is terrible in such small portions um, but I mean, going to this album though, I, uh, when this album came out, I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, a lot of rippers on this thing. Bring it back as a ripper. Douchebags a ripper. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Why try is easy. Top 10, maybe top five all, all time. Oh yeah. Olympus. Totally agree. Why it's track 12. I don't really know, but it does bring the album back up after 90.2.10, which is probably i don't know in the bottom end of limp Bizkit songs <laughs> so um some mistakes were made but you yeah. know considering the rest of it it's mm-hmm. easy to just kind of shove that one under the under the road yeah yeah josh what'd you think definitely heading in the right direction with this one for sure it is like dan said it's super aggressive and i say i listened to it for the first time about two weeks ago and I find myself going back to listen to that album more than I do any of their old stuff. And you definitely, Dan's right, you definitely get some shit done when you're doing that album. I'm out there listening to Cutting Grass. I'm like chopping down stuff. I'm like, ah, get my chainsaw. Let's shut this tree down. So I definitely see where Dan's coming Wait, from. Like you had a, a motherfucking chainsaw? Oh, what? yeah. <laughs> oh, I had to break some stuff tonight. I, I like it. It, it. it leaves me hopeful for the direction that as long as they're still together and, and Wes and Fred don't hate each other, that the next Limp Bizkit album is going to be just as good, if not better, than this. If we ever get it, one. Yeah, you know, the rumor has it. Wes says it's done. Fred says it's in his basement. No one really knows. Oh, well, well Wes went on Instagram late last year and said they're writing a whole new album right now. Oh, interesting. And then uh, Fred had been posting um, rehearsal footage of the whole band, like everybody back. Sam's there, DJ Lethal's there, working all together. So my prediction was that they would probably drop something before year's end. That'd be um, nice. So that'd be cool. Followed by a tour, I would imagine. Well, and let's I throw imagine. out let's throw out too that like Limp Bizkit has had an amazing tour cycle in the past couple of years, in that they they fucking show up like. For as much as we've talked about perception, and I always say this, uh, I always say this about bands like Nickelback, where people are like, "Oh my god, I fucking hate Nickelback." It's like almost the same example of like how everybody hates somebody that's massively successful, mm-hmm. but like those tickets aren't fucking selling themselves. You know, like there, there's people that will pay good money to see Limp Biscuit today. Yeah, you absolutely. know, and and they play sold out shows. They're, you know, maybe not on the same success level that they once were, but considering that it, you know, it's fucking almost 20, no, it is more than 20 years past their prime almost, that they're yeah. still doing this well. They still sell out. And that, that just says something to the craft of the songwriting, that they they hit on something on a primal level that we can all appreciate. Like, yeah, sure. It's easy for me to be like, dude fucking morbid angel is way heavier than limp biscuit and that's what i'm gonna listen to because i'm a fucking meathead metal fan but it doesn't really like it doesn't affect me on a personal level you know like limp biscuit had this perfect mix of like danceability i guess so to speak and relatable lyrics and just kind of outrageous (laughs) outrageous lyrics too at times where like 
Like the fucking, you know, like, I've got a chainsaw, I'll skin your ass raw, like that kind of stuff. What? As stupid as it sounds. <laughs> as stupid as it sounds. It's awesome. Like, you almost have to look at it like a B-horror movie. Like, a B-horror movie, like, everybody's like, oh, that's really bad. But, like, is it bad if it's 100% entertaining? I don't think so. Yeah. The worst, the worst thing is a boring B-movie. Oh, absolutely. You know, but if it's if it's fucking just over the top, but the effects are kind of bad. And so, like, when I compare that concept to Limp Bizkit, it's like, yeah, it didn't age very well. And even when they put new stuff out, it doesn't necessarily sound particularly modern. But whenever I'm listening to it, I'm 100% engaged, regardless of how I feel about it, like, on a personal level. It's still fun to listen to, and it's awesome. And you just kind of, you kind of just rank up, you kind of just uh, rack up your suspension of disbelief, and you listen to it, and you're like, "Wow, this is tons of fun." And like in my case, it was like, "Oh shit!" I listened to these albums, and I got a shit ton of work done really quickly. So, like, there's a huge benefit to that. Is that your final thought? Yeah, I guess so. So, to you, Limpiskit doesn't stand up test the time. They didn't age well for you. <sighs> Well, yeah, I mean, obviously not. And we dealt with this a little bit in the POD episode where, like, their latest album was kind of a throwback to their older stuff. But because it didn't age very well, it, it kind of, it, it's kind of hard to, it, it's kind of hard to latch onto it now. But if you put yourself in that mindset of, like, is this entertaining or is it not entertaining? Like, don't worry about, like, society or public perception or any of that stuff. If you throw all that stuff out the window, you can still be 100% entertained. And so I think in that case, it doesn't matter whether or not they survived the times or whatever. Josh, final thoughts on Limp Biscuit. They're a band I loved to listen to growing up. When I revisit them now, I still enjoy listening to the same albums and the same new stuff that they have now that I did, you know, high school. Like Dan said, it doesn't necessarily age well, but I personally enjoy it. So to look at it and break it down now as an adult as opposed to an adolescent high school kid, I still I still get jacked up to listen to break stuff. I still go crazy and counterfeit or, you know, but I still enjoy like Dan said douchebag now. <laughs> like I get amped Fuck, up. It's a it. fucking like, magnum it's like, opus, man. It, yeah, it's like... <laughs> It's like, as a, as a whole, I personally still love to listen, listen, listen to Biscuit. And if they had new stuff that comes out, I would totally go see them. They were, they, they obviously still have a following. I mean, they just, they just last year, the year before, they had a show here at a local club. And someone's like, do you want to go? Yeah, sure. It's Limp Bizkit. I'm, you know, I'll see the classics. It sold out in like 15 minutes. Like, I didn't even get a chance to even try to get tickets. We went, we went up to the venue uh, the night of the show, and they were going to release more tickets. And at any point, they had to turn people away, and the fire marshal ended up having to take people out because they had so many people crammed in there who were younger, um, not just people our age. And so I definitely think that the people, the, the kids today, could listen to it and, and sort of relate to it. So it was just kind of cool to see a band that we grew up listening to still can be sort of relevant today. So I'd still listen, I still listen to Limp Bizkit. I, I like it. I always like Limp Bizkit. I think Limp Bizkit is everybody's favorite band to listen to that no one wants to admit they like. Not quite the modern-day Nickelback. That's fair. That they fair. are... Limp Bizkit is a band that may personify what new metal is to most people, but everybody spent 
a long time not listening to what is arguably a good band because Fred Durst is a douche. If you think he was a douche and that's why you stopped listening to Limp Biscuit, he was probably a douche the whole time and you justified it somehow. So let that piece go and just listen to Limp Biscuit, the band that writes the songs that everybody likes. Lauren Keselowski. My final thought on Limp Biscuit is that they rule. Uh, they've only got one <laughs> album that kind of is a dip, and Wes isn't even on it, so Doesn't that's count. fine. And uh, yeah, Gold Cobra's killer. Um, they put out a single that was supposed to be, uh, you know, the the lost album, the Stampede of the Disco Elephants. Um, they put out a song called Ready to Go. I love it, even though it does sound like Fred is saying drinking some jizz instead of drinking some gin. But maybe that's why that didn't work out. I think it's better. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's better, honestly. Yeah, maybe you know what? Expand that audience. There's not enough jizz drinking in metal. There is not enough. Let's Thank talk you for that. about that next <laughs> hour. Make right. that a thing. <laughs> that's for the that's for the special Patreon bonus episode. Uh, yeah, that's a Patreon only thing. Uh, yeah, I uh, yeah, I think these guys are great. I mean, the, uh, the delivering of just lack of filler on these albums. Um, that's really the remarkable thing. Like you get tons of crushers, which is what you want. And um, I'd say, like, by the fact that they have a smaller discography than bands like Korn, um, I think makes them just their hits outweigh their misses in a lot of ways. Um, Korn have such, you know, that long fallow period. uh, So Limbiscuit can only look better by comparison. Um, But also, I'd say, like, the peaks of, you know, Significant Other and Chocolate Starfish are, you know, higher than I think even Korn's peaks. So, um, yeah, I've always liked these guys. I think maybe I, I used to joke like when Gold Cobra came out, I uh, I got reminded there was I tweeted like the day that it leaked, actually, back during the leaking days. Um, I remember saying like, oh, did everybody take the day off of work because, you know, Limp Bizkit's album leaked. And then I listened to it and I was like, oh, no, this album, I should have taken the day off of work. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> because this album's made. Although, according to you, Dan, maybe I should have listened to it at work. I could have gotten more done. You could have, man. Uh, like, it's crazy. Could have. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think, yeah, these guys are great. I've always been a big fan. Um, never really went away and let's get that new album in our ear holes, baby. Yeah, definitely. What's your album of the week? My album of the week. Gosh, you guys put them on the spot. This year has been rough because I've been listening to a lot of stuff for the show. And, um, if, uh, you know what? I'm going to say my album of the week. Boy, oh boy. Do I have it? I'm like scrolling through my... Oh, my album of the week is uh, Chemical Brothers, uh, No Geography. Um, those guys are back. They never really went away. This new record is killer. Uh, um, if you like uh, yeah, if you like dance music, um, that's the record. Dan, what about you? Well, with Limp Biscuit, I've had to kind of cleanse the palate a few times, go back and uh, get more into like what is my kind of base as far as what I love about music. It's got to be Hopeful Arbiter, man. It's my album of the week like every three weeks, but it's fucking great, and you should check it out. Josh, welcome back. What's your album of the week? I have actually been listening to Avatar, which is a Swedish death metal band. Oh, way, way to be 
trying to be Jeff here. Now it's it's ironic. Oh. It's ironic because I have I, I originally before I agreed to come back, I had tickets to the show and they're in town tonight. And so oh, they've nice. got they've got this they got this album um, that got me into them called Hail to the Apocalypse. And so it's a pretty good listen to. So I've been listening to that and kind of going back through their stuff and cool. prepping for the show. But yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good band. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're prepping for the pending Avatar episode we'll be doing. I hate to break this to you, buddy, but like the next episode I'm going to make you do, it's a straight deathcore band. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> My album of the week is Snot. Get some. Yeah, because oh. there's all those other snot albums to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Is that too harsh? He's I'm coming sorry. in hot, ladies it's and gentlemen. Too harsh. I'm, he's coming <laughs> in very hot. Yeah. And so everyone knows Dan does install garage doors if <laughs> oh you'd like God, to hit yeah. him up. Yeah. If you have a broken spring on your garage door or, you know, any repairs that need to be made, call somebody else first. But if you're desperate, call me. Lauren, thank you for coming down off of your mighty new metal throne and doing this episode with us. Thank you for having me. This is always a pleasure to hang out with you guys and talk some discographies. For sure. Thank you, sir. So much fun. So you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, hopefully. And uh, you probably asked yourself before, I wanted them to talk about this band that I really love. Can I do that? Absolutely, you can do that. There's a ton of different avenues you can do that with. You can email us at show at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash discography discussion. We actually have an official group there that you can join. Just ask to join the group and I'll probably approve you unless you're like some kind of weird Facebook bot. We also have a Discord server. You can chat with us in real time on Discord. There's going to be a link in the show notes. You can click on that link and get added to our Discord server. And uh, I get notifications on my phone anytime somebody posts in there. So, uh, you know, if it's like four in the morning, I'm probably not going to respond. But, you know, maybe I will. So uh, we'll just keep that option open for you guys. And uh, you can also reach out to us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. You can find Joe and I on Twitter also personally at Discuss Metal Joe and Discuss Metal Dan. And, uh, you know, there's just so many ways you can reach out to us. So if you don't, well, it's your fault. Too bad. Unless it's Kiss. Then then if you want us to talk about Kiss, all you have to do is go on Apple Podcasts and write us a review. Whatever kind of review you think we deserve. And on that note, this has been episode 118 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please, send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. Lauren Kozlowski and the Roach Coach podcast can be found online at RoachCoach.com and GabberMedia.com forward slash RoachCoach. Jeff, what'd you think? Hey, y'all. I'm going to need you to try again. (laughs) You're right. Jeff's not here. Oh, who's Dave? Pick another Dave. Dave's not here. He only only cares. (laughs) He he doesn't care about your opinion, Joe. It's only Jeff. (laughs) Copious amounts of alcohol is required. Copious amounts of alcohol is required.